the very first day I did any training in aesthetics was on lips. And it was just that that was with, with, a, with a trainer. And in the, in the old days, they used to come and visit you in a, your place of work at the time and watch you do six treatments. So I just did six lips one after the other. And that's where it kind of carried on from there. Um, and it was a long time before I ever did a cheek filler. listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Kerry Hanafi is Ireland's lip queen. She used her expertise in dermal fillers and particularly in lips in order to build one of Ireland's best known clinics in Dublin's beauty Golden Mile. And the moment lockdown was lifted, she opened her second branch, a rare example of a practice actually expanding through the coronavirus crisis. But just a few short years ago, Kerry was a dedicated respiratory and chemotherapy nurse of more than 20 years. And after several years working in England, she landed back in Dublin, newly divorced and with barely a penny to her name. So how did she turn that difficult situation into one of Ireland's best known aesthetic practices? The answer is a very specific strategy, plus some really innovative, exciting marketing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Kerry, welcome to the podcast. We're really excited to have you here. Lovely to be here. Lovely to speak to you. Great. Um, and I actually, we've talked before, so I actually want to start with something that you told me last time we spoke. Um, and you mentioned that you serve two relatively unusual clientele. Not, you know, it's not that no one else serves them. Um, but you mentioned that you have a very, very large male um, clientele. So a large patient base that is male and youth as well. So how did that come about, first of all? I suppose predominantly what, um, my career progression was from young people initially because I started in um when i came back from england and living in ireland the predominant treatment i was always doing was just lip fillers that was all i ever did to begin with i never did any cheek fillers never did jaws chins nose never touched on botox because the rules in ireland are different with toxins so nurses can't inject toxin over here so i had to focus on one area and i always find the lips um the easiest to do I know a lot of people find them the most difficult to do, but for me, I just found them easier. Um, so I focused I know, on- I, I know you are the lip queen, and we will I add- know, yeah. about that. <laughs> right, so, so, so it came, essentially, um, you were specialized right from the beginning, and that attracted the relative yeah. market. Yeah, I actually didn't do anything else. That's all I ever did, one after the other, you know? And to begin with, it was literally one a week, one a month, you know, one in a blue moon. It was very, very slow. Um, people didn't know what it was that I was doing, what I was offering. This was in 2006, and um, I'd only moved back from living in London 13 years. So 
it was a little bit more advanced in the UK, whereas people kind of were having, starting to have lip filler treatments in the UK, but in Ireland, um, not really. So there were few and far between. Um, I, I'm fascinated though at how specialized you were right at the beginning, because normally, you know, we work with aesthetic clinics on marketing their, the entire time. And normally the problem, one of the problems is they are doing so much that they, they're completely unspecialized. Everyone is a generalist, and that actually makes it really hard to just differentiate yourself in the market. Yeah, I think, I think it was so specialized right from the start. Yeah, it made a massive difference. I think the, the very first day I did any training in aesthetics was on lips. Um, up to that. Yeah, and it was just, that, that was with, with, a, with a trainer, and in the, in the old days, they used to come and visit you in a, your place of work at the time and watch you do six treatments. So I just did six lips, one after the other, and that's where it kind of carried on from there. Um, and it was a long time before I ever did a cheek filler. So, okay, so, so you started with the lip fillers um, yep. for a very, very long time. And then, um, and, and that attracted the youth market. Um, that attracted as, as young early as 2006, the youth were already interested in that? So we were, yeah, 2006, 2007, 2008, they were all slow, slow years as such. Um, I did it as a hobby. Um, I'd buy one box of a dermal filler, um, you know, and I treat a few different people. I might do um, the occasional um, glabella area with, with fillers, which we, we, we don't like to treat as much nowadays, but we used to do quite a few of those as well, just the line the, between the two eyebrows and the 11s. Um, we used to fill that all with filler. Um, so it progressed from there and then in probably 2010 facebook was starting to show a little bit of interest in you know advertising and i met a young girl who now lives in australia actually and she was called little kiva and she's on youtube now and she was quite a big kind of first youtuber that was around at the time and she started to do little videos in her bedroom um just in a a, a normal house in a, in a local suburb of dublin and she recorded me doing a lip and she made a little fancy video. And in the time of early Facebook, that, that video went viral on me very quickly. And it kind of kicked me off in the, the, the world of lip fillers, north and south of Dublin. So we have, a, we have a big river. And so between South Dublin and North Dublin, I used to just drive between the two, visiting young girls in, in their homes to begin with. Um, and also in beauty salons. So it started like that, and I do one at a time. So nowadays you still have that large um, youth clientele. Are yeah. they doing more than lip fillers, or are they still just coming for the lip fillers? No, they're starting to now. So we, and you know, we're, we're, we're early, early days here, but they're following kind of the, the progression of Kardashians still, you know, and, you know, looking for jawline fillers. They're looking to get rid of, you, do you do treatments for my fat face, um, my double chin? And they're 19. So it's not anything I do. I never progressed into it. Um, so I just say it's not something that I, you know, treat. Um, we, we, we get them in and we'll have a chat with them and do a consultation. We very rarely treat them. Um, we might then kind of veer them towards looking after their skin quality and, and focusing on that and maybe getting them to go to the, you know, if people have a few pounds on them, a lot of girls think a few injections and they're a little bit overweight and they have a bit of a, 
you know, and, you know, so we spend a bit of time, but you do see a lot more 19 year olds looking for. There's definitely an ethical issue depending on how old they are. You know, someone that's 21 is completely different to someone who is 18 um, or, 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 or younger. So, and, and actually um, we, once, we once did an email campaign around this for one of, for one of our clinics where um, the doctor talked about how, how parents were now facing pressure um, from their daughters to, to get all kinds of procedures they weren't really comfortable, you know, that neither the parents nor this doctor felt comfortable giving. And how do you discuss it with them? How do you, dis, how do you dissuade them, um, essentially? So when you tell them that you're not willing to treat them with certain procedures, how do they take that? They do. And it's funny, you, you do see a, a year or two later, I've had a couple of girls come back to me and go, and actually only recently, one in lockdown, actually, her, she had her tear troughs done elsewhere and she'd phoned up during tear, um, uh, coronavirus time saying, you know, did I dissolve? And she said, I know you told me not to do them, but I still went ahead and got them done elsewhere. And now she's left with a big bulge under her eyes. So you do occasionally, yes, they will go elsewhere, but, you know, it's, it's, it's something I'm not comfortable treating. So I haven't ventured down that way. Uh, jaws, chins are all an anti-aging treatment for me here. They're all for the, the older clientele, definitely. Okay, so, so let's talk about the positive aspects um, of treating um, that, that patient base. Um, I, guess one, I, I, I guess one of the things that stops some clinics going after them is they assume that, they have, that, that younger people essentially have less disposable income. Um, is it worthwhile pursuing them from that point of view as, as, a, as a patient base? I think what I found doing lip fillers um, is the, the, the joy that it gives to, to young girls, the, the confidence that gives them, you know, to themselves. And a lot of people do have very small, fine, thin lips and a little bit of volumization really gives, makes them look more attractive. So it can be done very subtly. It can look very well. It only needs half a mil. Um, some needs, people do need a mil, but um, it's not always about having this huge, massive, big, you know, duck-like lip and um, a lot of it is how you do it and how much you use really right so so, so it is actually fulfilling to treat them i guess a lot yeah. of them have more hooks hang on their lips <laughs> yeah they used to jump off and i would get at least you know a hug from from people or the, you know and to see them nearly cry when they look in the mirror at themselves how happy they look because it, it does look very well when it's done properly it's only the ones that you see that are projected out or they're overfilled or but but aesthetics can can look very well on a, on a young person even at 21. So I'm assuming that in terms of again in terms of pursuing them as a um, as a as a patient base one of the advantages is that when you get them young essentially they're with you for life probably so that's probably one reason to you know. To yeah and then you can start talking you know when you're doing your, their lips and they they have spots where they've blackheads or they've, you know, acne or, um, plus you've also got, if, if they go home to their parents who are only in their, their late forties, early fifties, and they see that they, I've had a lot of, um, mothers come in and say, Oh my God, I love my daughter's lips. Can I get some as well? So you do get nice appointments where the mom and the daughter come in together and they make it as a day. Cause we are a clinic based in central, central Dublin on a nice, cafe kind of street and you know so it's a nice day out as well to, to go out with your mum 
So let, let's talk about messaging. Um, you know, one of the challenges is that I would assume that they need rather that, you know, a 20 year old needs very different messaging to the uh, messaging that their mothers need essentially. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you, how do you handle marketing to both demographics at once? If you do. That is a difficult one because Instagram is predominantly um, the 20 to 30 age group. Um, Facebook is is dying out we don't get a lot from Facebook anymore it's not really but there's still a cohort of people in their 50s that maybe do click into Facebook um, so they it is a harder because for years I I didn't have the 40 year old market um, so the way we kind of target that market was through toxin really um, not through fillers um so to, so to get still interested in getting the older demographic as yeah well. yes yeah yeah like it's a more difficult market the, the the young market for me because i'm so comfortable doing a lip filler um it's i find it less stressful than you know a full 40 minute assessment on somebody whose expectations are very big at you know 55 and they want to look they don't you know they want their face pulled um, and they still only have 300 euros to spend or 400 euros to spend. So a young girl is, is easier, you know, and it's, it's a fun treatment and it's, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable outcome. It's a lot of expectations with older people. Um, they need to spend serious amounts of money. Yes, the rewards are good if they spend the money. Uh, are there other differences in the, you know, the buying behavior or, um, you know, or any really noticeable differences like that when you treat both? Noticeable is like the old, the, not the old, she's, I'm in that age group myself. <laughs> the, the young, the young women of today. Um, it's more, I suppose, if we have been treating somebody who, um, you know, we the clinic is here on this particular street five years, but I'm in aesthetics since 2004. So there are women that I've been treating since then and you know they look very well now at 60 and now their friends are looking at them going oh wow I must go and see her and their expectations are great on their initial treatment you know and expect to look like their friend after one treatment okay so there's differences so essentially the younger and the one of one of the differences um, between the younger and the older demographics is what they expect as outcomes nice to get people around you know it, late 30s early 40s and um and the, the the people we find that you don't really see are the women between 28 and 45 you know they're still rearing children they're they're busy with young kids they're busy with school fees you know and they're they're the group you don't see a lot of those because they don't have the money or the time um so it's the woman who's now in her even the ones you've been treating let's say since they were 20 do they kind of drop off at a certain point because i thought that one of the advantages would be that when you get them early you keep them for life but um do they just get caught up with their lives eventually drop off for the year that they're pregnant you know you do you do see them um the only thing if you get them before they get you know if you get them on that trip road trip while they're you know they're they're wedding their engagement and you prepare them for the wedding you they, they do disappear because then they have children but they do come back okay. because once they have had toxin and skin treatments and they've had that nice glow you know the baby sucks the life out of you anyway at the best of times so they're desperate to come back once they're they're not breastfeeding so we do see them back Okay, but so the relationships still do last. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of our, we, we, we have a high percentage of return business because we've kind of always, always focused on 
very much results driven clinic rather than um you know a, that's what you get and sorry you're not happy but that's what that's what you get you know so it's very much results driven okay so the original question about five questions ago was about how how you target the two demographics at once um but yeah. what's, what's interesting here is that in order to target the youth you have to go on platforms that many aesthetic um clinics are probably really not used to going on to like yeah, we're, the we're the complete opposite all our business comes from that from those platforms always from from day one my business came from from facebook so that's how, where my business grew was facebook and social media platforms we don't we we lack the other way so we're trying to you know definitely my instagram is aimed more towards the younger person but it's very difficult to to make an instagram ready made for 40 to 50 year olds because anybody you treat at of that age they don't want to send in their picture and have it blasted over social media but a 20 year old does and she loves to have her picture posted over her pre and her post but 40 up there's a lot of a lot of clinics in fact i spoke to a clinic owner in a completely different part of the world last last night who said uh, one of their big difficulties is getting before and afters but the youth yeah, yeah. wants to be on social media yeah. but for them it's it's very, very, very and it's the bane of my life and i bought so many blackout curtains different cameras different you know to get really really good pre and post but when you're busy and those things do they're, they're the harder things to get right in the clinic a really good before and after um because the position what, what, what's your secret oh i'm still trying i'm still trying i've like different pull-ups i have a new camera at the moment um you know and it's just making sure it's the position always and it's it's time or it's it's maybe having you know a set place where people stand and they take their jewelry off and their hair is the same sometimes people's hair color is different and they all make a difference to the color of the skin it's very hard to get a, a really good before and after i'm sure that the 20 year olds could probably teach everyone a thing or two about how to do it <laughs> you're better off getting like we're lucky here one of our receptionists is um quite a quite a prominent influencer in ireland so they know all the tricks you know and the the filters that they use or the positions to stand in and where to put your neck and so they can make a young young person they can make me look good actually <laughs> <laughs> so presumably though you said that your social media has been key to growing the business so understanding how to be on social media in a way that attracts young people has probably been key to that um so getting into the head of those young people how have you managed to do that so i give the job to I give the job to a young person to do. So I don't pretend that I can do it. it. I'm 50 this year and I wouldn't have, we don't have that brain of a 20 year old. You know, we would think, we wouldn't think the same way. I have a 17 year old daughter who will put up an Instagram song that I don't even know exists and it will go further than the song that I would put up. So, so, it's, so, so it's give it to a digital native essentially. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, just you, you need to delegate. Okay, so you mentioned that there's someone um, in your office um, and who, who is an influencer. Um, mm. So I know that you've told me before that influencer marketing has been really key for you. So first of all, why don't you tell, some people may not know, what, what is influencer marketing? So influencer marketing is where you have, um, you have a platform. So basically somebody, say for instance, Primark, they want to sell a certain dress and they've, they've 
plenty of these dresses, but they, so they send that dress to an influencer. She receives the dress, so she gets paid to wear the dress, take pictures of the dress, say how well the dress feels on her, um, how, how, how well she looks in it, and then people will buy that dress. Um, so then the sales for the pre-marked dress increase that week. Um, so it's, 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 a for, it's just a form of marketing. So you're paying the influencer instead of a magazine. Okay. So you, have, you do this systematically, I assume, with your products rather yes. than treatments. Yes. With treatments as well? Yeah, so we do, so we have um, consent forms for influencers. So they have to, because you have to be careful because, you know, you, you can give a treatment which is worth 300 euros, 300 sterling, and you're getting nothing in return. So they have to, you have to know that you'll get some form of return. So you have to stipulate what you want for this treatment that you're going to do for them you tell them um you know th this is a picture this treatment you give me in return a picture on instagram or mention on instagram or something like that so you know it, it it's a market it's been widely used in ireland for a long time it's kind of nearly run its course a little bit um you know it's 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 been around a long time so you have to make sure that the influencer you use isn't one day selling that one clinic and then the next day she's selling your clinic and then she's selling everybody is brilliant so presumably you have to develop real relationships with them you have, to, you have to find one that's quite loyal which is difficult because they especially if you're doing facials they can have oh my skin looks great today because i attended this clinic and the next day is my skin looks great today because i actually had the facial here and i'm using their creams you know so we've had to you have to be, you do have to be careful and loyalty is important. So how do you find the right people? Just trial and error. There's no other way. Um, you know, there's many people I've used over the years and they've had a retreatment and I haven't had anything from it. Um, so it is trial and error. Um, so when it know. works, you then continue the relationship, presumably? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it'll work for a while and then that particular person you know, they, they, they may be good at selling sports clothes. It doesn't mean they're very good in aesthetics. So you have to look at who's following them and what age demographics are following them. But Instagram give you all that insight. So how many influencers do you work with at any given point? We're, we're constantly chasing the top Instagram influencers. Um, so I would, geez, we easily have 20 constantly here. On a, on a rolling basis, um, not, not every week or every day, but like I could definitely think of 20 people that we use in the course of a year. Um, depends how, what we're, how, how demanding are they in terms of, you know, the, presumably the more popular they are, the more conditions they have on their side as well? Yeah, I suppose we've, we've, we, we now have such good relationships with them that, um, you know, if they don't, I suppose if we don't get much from their videos or anything, especially if it's to do with a, a nice free treatment of, of three areas of Botox, um, you know, in three to six months time, they'll definitely do something for you to get it again because they, they don't like to pay for things. They get used to the, to the freebies essentially and it becomes so, a lifestyle. Yeah. So both parties use it, use it, I suppose, to your advantage. Um, 
but it's it's like you could spend a thousand euros on an article for a magazine and people don't pick up hard copies anymore or you know they don't see it so it's it's just a different way of marketing how trackable is this like how easy you know you said that you don't want to you're not you're not going to want to do it again for an influencer where you didn't see very much but yeah, so how, how easy is it to see the direct impact they're having on your sales yeah so you you know it's easier if it's a product so you can so that you can give them a product they 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 use the product they do a nice video um i suppose by the messages that you receive by the phone so you always get you know, people to say, oh, look, I saw Ashley's or such and such video and um, I'd love to book in. So they have to mention their name or so that's the only way of tracking. Okay. People tend to say where they saw. We ask here anyway, you know, where did you hear about us or what's brought you to our clinic? So it's like the old ways of marketing. You need to find out where where people are hearing about you. Is it from friends or is it from um, a magazine somewhere, you know, and and target that so different different clinics will have different um areas i suppose and well, what's the key to getting these people on board because I'm, I'm i'm assuming again that influencers are probably bombarded with offers of different um you know different not only clinics but different businesses of all kinds that want to um to use their audience essentially to, to you know to, to to reach new people so how, when you approach them, what is the key to differentiating yourself and actually getting them on board? I think at this stage, because the bigger clinics will have the big influencers, so it's very hard for people to come in and try and get um, some top UK influencer into their clinic when they've already, you know, that is difficult. So it's to look at somebody who's growing, somebody, you know, who's, who's new in influencing but their their numbers are growing quite rapidly and they're you know so they're the ones to look at really if you're trying to get into it so you don't necessarily want to go for the people right at the top but you want to look for the ones with potential basically is that right i think we're all influencers at the end of the day so if you can find a person and you get in a group this is how we found our business has grown so if you do one person really well they go back and tell 10 people it's the exact it's a bit like covid <laughs> you know if you do one <laughs> yeah yeah it's the it's the ratio so if you do do one and you get into a group of women that normally go to the same clinic and then they come back and they go because it especially in Ireland um, there's a lot of differences between different types of toxin you know so there's the raised eyebrow look you know and that has the ripple over the the eyebrows the old-fashioned way of people looking that they have Botox now people are looking for the more natural look so there are people out there that, that will come and have it have a really good treatment and they go back to their group and if they're the ones they're they're as good to influence so you mean that the influencers, when you think about influencers, yes, they're definitely on social media, but essentially you're also talking about people referring you. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. We're all influencers, really. Right. Gotcha. Um, okay. So the other thing is that in order to pursue that youth market, um, you are also on TikTok, which I think is still relatively, that is, yeah. And look, we, we've just been, been playing with it a little bit because I do have, you know, I do have girls, so I have two grown, you know, my two girls, one is 26 and one is, is 17. So the 17 year old has grown up 
in a different, they were 10 year gap. So the 26 year old definitely was Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Now the, the younger generation are Snapchat still, um, TikTok. TikTok is growing very fast. Literally within the last year, it just suddenly off. Yeah. So it's all to do with videos. So it's, it's, their, their, their attention span is very short. And so what kind of content works for you on TikTok? Yeah, video, music, and you know, has to be funky. It has to be. Um, we did. We we just trialed their their over COVID. And one particular video, it was like the old days. It went to fifty five thousand views. And do you find that there is a lot less competition on there from other aesthetic clinics? I would imagine. Yeah, we haven't we haven't done a huge amount. We've only put like three or four different. So it's just it's very new for me. But I definitely think um, you can, you know, there's a lot of young people, even just in aesthetics with skin, you know, suffering with spots and blackheads and, and they spend so much on different types of creams, they really don't know what to do. So there's loads, loads of potential. So that's really the, the, the way of the future. Um, and what's interesting for me is that you are creating your own niche there. Like you're really finding um, not just niches, which other clinics do, are not necessarily that interested in, um, but it's also kind of fertile marketing ground, right? Because we always talk about how in aesthetics, everyone is busy pursuing the same patients and you have to niche yourself in some way and yeah. you have to create your own, um, you know, your own pool um, and, you know, that, that's something that you have clearly, that you are clearly doing very, very successfully. Yeah, and I think with, with, mark, with marketing, it's definitely, you need somebody who's really good at the SEOs on um, Google. You know, they're, they're, they're I, something that I don't understand, but, you know, to get, you know, there's loads of people trying to sell you that they're, they can get you ranking here and ranking there, but you need to know somebody who's nearly an ex-Google employee that knows Google inside out. Yeah, SEO, SEO is not for amateurs. No. I mean, none of marketing really is, but SEO, people think they can do them themselves. Absolutely. No, you can waste a lot of money trying to chase, you know, to trying to be number one on, on, on Google search. But it is, that those things are important. Um, but do you, do you think that, um, that this is, that differentiating in this way is really important? Has that been a key to your, to your success? Because that's really what you've done. You really niched and differentiated. I think we've always been um, at the forefront. I think we've been lucky enough um, and timing, you know, because, because I have been in aesthetics for so long now. So, you know, 2004 was, was, was at the beginning. So people, that it, it is harder for people to come into aesthetics nowadays, especially post-COVID. And, you know, you, you know, we're all going to be having to treat pe people with masks and, you know, you're not going to be able to assess patients. So it's, it's very difficult now, whereas you know, 10, 12 years ago, there was nobody using Facebook because the clinics that were practicing were, um, you know, dermatology clinics, you know, um, doctors that had it as a, a side kind of, you know, fillers were very expensive um, to have treatments. So there was a whole market ready to, to, to grab really at the time of Facebook opening. Whereas now, you, you know, you're not going to get the same following on Facebook if you're just new to aesthetics now. It doesn't which work. Is, which is why it's important to essentially to, the next to, to, do, yeah, to do what you're doing, which is to, narrow, narrow, to go narrow. Because when you go narrow, 
very often clinics have this fear, you know, you've got to go broad because what if I miss out on this demographic? What if I miss out on that demographic? What if I don't do this? What if I don't do that? But actually you are almost the perfect case study of a clinic where um, you've gone narrow in various different ways and that's actually served you very well. But I think that's me because I've, I've become comfortable in an area. So I'm not one, I, I prefer just to do lips. So Yes, I, I do, absolutely, and I do cheeks and I do chins. Tear troughs now, I've kind of delegated to somebody else because it's just not something I've done. So much training on it, I don't like doing them. So. But it's a marketing thing, isn't it? The truth is you can do lots of different things, but marketing yeah. about how you position yourself publicly and you called yourself very deliberately on your website, the lip yeah. queen. Yeah. Um, and actually that's a really um, kind of classic marketing move because when you call, when you, when you, brand yourself in that way people start associating yourself start associating you with that um so and for a while it was a little bit negative because people what we did and this is why we had to change a little bit because people were only coming to me for lips and then it was um you know while we were doing their consultation we had to say um geez if you had your cheeks done and they go oh yeah i didn't think you did cheeks and they'd been to somebody else the day before in another clinic right you know so we had to we had to open that up a little bit as well and remind people that we do do everything <laughs> and probably have um good upsell procedures for them as well yeah so we're going to go for a break in a second but just before yeah. we do that there's one more thing i want to ask you about the niching which we talked about the youth market a lot but um you said you also have a very large um patient base of um of patients who are men yeah. uh, which is clearly a growing trend in the aesthetic world but I think what, what percentage of your of your clinic do you think are men oh I'd say 20% now I'd say and growing definitely growing there are days that there um, we did look at different options you know having just a male day um, for waiting room but we don't find people are comfortable now so there are times that there could be three or four men one after the other so it's definitely growing um, and do you do anything in particular to reach them? What, what, what's the messaging that works with the men? We, we, with the men, I suppose the, 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 the everyday guy out in the, the, the street, we haven't particularly targeted. So we've, we've started our targeting campaign really for the men because the street that we're on is a hairdressing predominantly, um, it's probably at least six really high-end hairdressers on this street. So we targeted all the men in those first. And then we have a prominent um, bar around the corner called The George, which is um, just a, a male bar, drag shows, drag queens. Um, so we targeted that. Um, so they, we, we do a lot of work with them. So consequently from that, we get a lot of men. So it's, it's joint ventures, uh, essentially. It's another form of influencer marketing, isn't it? Because you're yeah. taking places where they're going to anyway and forming kind yeah. of joint relationships absolutely yeah and building relationships with the businesses that are there around your area so we hook ourselves up a lot with hairdressers especially um um chains of hairdressers because they're then in different areas around the, the country so they you know so we might get um one particular hairdressers brown sugar they have five different outlets so, you know, what kind of, when you say, um, you, you, you know, we would give a percentage, we would give discounts. So they have discount cards. So we, we print off, you know, branded discount cards for different, um, shops that we do a lot of work with. And so the staff then, so if you're in a hairdresser and all the staff look well and, 
and the woman's there getting her hair done for two hours, it's like, geez, where do you go? So then for, the, for an hour, they're talking about you. So you're using them. So do you do you offer the same way that you offer the influence Instagram influencers? Um, you know, no, no, no. Don't be just yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. So you're not doing that to the hairdressers as well. No, no, no. It would be just they, they would get a, a discount for you know for because then they're while they're working they look well. I see. And the men's, um, uh, the men's buying habits, very different. Obviously, they're looking for some different treatments. But again, how difficult is it to serve those two very different demographics once in bulk? Men, I don't, you know, I don't. There's not a huge difference nowadays. Men still, they, they, they just want to look fresh, well. Um, you know, they're in new relationships as well. They, they, they come in for their skin quite a bit now, especially if they suffer with redness acne rosacea um they'll come in for the mesotherapy treatments um quite comfortably at the beginning it, it was people were a little bit nervous um but now women are bringing their husbands in they say well i look <laughs> i look the well children are bringing their mothers in and the mothers are bringing, the mothers are bringing their, their husbands in yeah oh, it's fantastic actually um Perry, we're going to go for a break now after the break i'm going to you have a fascinating backstory which we haven't touched on yet at all but we're going to talk about you personally and yeah. how you got to to where you to where you're to where you're at Hey, it's Miriam here again. And during this break, I have a quick question for you. How easy are you finding it to market to your patients now that your clinic is reopened after lockdown? Lots of practice owners are struggling. They're not sure what to say to patients in this new normal. People are still recovering from the shock and the trauma of quarantine. Many have lost jobs and income. Sending the same old blunt promotions just doesn't feel appropriate anymore. You might be operating with a smaller team and a smaller marketing budget. And reopening your clinic is so much work, you don't even have the headspace to focus on marketing right now. If you can relate, let me introduce you to Inbox Express. That's our library of marketing emails written specifically for aesthetic clinics and med spas just like yours. They're designed to make your marketing to your patient database as easy, as quick, and as effective as possible. So you can get patients back through your doors again and again, even in these difficult times. All you need to do to get these emails working for your clinic or med spa is to fill in a few blanks, upload them to your marketing platform and hit send. You don't have to worry about messaging because it's all done for you. Each template takes an average of one to two minutes to customize, making your marketing more manageable during this pressured time. To find out more, visit inbox-express.com. That's inbox-express.com. I'll include the address in the show notes so just take a quick look in a text under the podcast and you'll find it there. Now back to the show. Okay, everyone. So welcome back from the break. I'm here with Kerry Hanafi in Dublin, um, who is telling us all about her very, very special niches um, and marketing. Um, but I want to take a br- another break from that, um, Kerry, and actually talk about you for a little bit. Um, let's discuss how you got here, how you got into something so different. So first of all, tell me about your background. Where, where did you grow up? I grew, oh, I was actually born in Australia. Really? Um, yeah, my, my mother's Scottish, my father's Irish, and they were in, originally in the army and traveled a lot, and then they eventually ended up in Australia for a while. So I was born there, lived there for five years, and then we went back to Scotland, and then we eventually came to Dublin. 
in the early 70s, grew up in Dublin, and so schooled in Dublin between schooling ages. And then at 17 in the 80s, there wasn't much going on in Dublin, big recession, no work. Not most kids um, left Ireland in the, in the 80s, you know, college students, we all left. So nursing was my dream. So I came to sunny London in 1988 and was one of the the many Irish student nurses that joined uh, the UK NHS system in the 80s. Um, so I was the old, old tra training. So the, the training where we um, trained on the wards. So, so you became, you were a respiratory and a chemotherapy nurse, is that correct? Yeah. So then I qualified then in 91. And then um, I was on a, unfortunate enough to um, work with a very leading, um, I think she ended up Rose Gibbs at the time, but she ended up, um, I think she works for big healthcare now, but she um she was a primary care nurse, so she was kind of very forward in her time and her thinking. So we we ran um hematology units, so it was a nurse led hematology unit. So that's where kind of I first started out. So it was very driven by nurses. So how did you get into something so different? How did you get into aesthetics? So I had um, my daughter, first daughter then, um, she was young and at the time it was very hard to go back to nursing part-time. It was impossible actually. There was no such thing as part-time nursing in the very early 90s. This is in 1992. So I took a role in um, a job as a practice nurse in a GP in Lewisham and I worked with him for a while. And it's there that I came across other people talking about Botox basically and one particular lady had told me about a nurse that was coming into a salon on a Saturday and that she was walking home with two grand in her back pocket was the story I was told at the time so this was in the early 90s and I was you know kind of going mm, this is interesting another quite taken with the vision of two grand in your pocket yeah money it was the money the nurse. money yeah and um so that's when I started doing a little bit of research. hadn't didn't know anything about it really, um, and that's when I came across QMed at the time, which was in Rygate, and that's where I gathered a thousand sterling at the time, which was a lot of money back in '96 for me anyway, because I was kind of going through early stages of separation and divorce and things. Um, but I got on the train and went to Rygate, and that's where I met um, the Galderma crew, and ended up doing my first. Um, Lip filler. <laughs> and when, after, when you... after working with chemotherapy patients, you know, what was that like, that transition? Very, very scary, you know, to actually in, inject something into somebody's face more for um, beauty. That was the difference and that you were trying to do something to, to improve them. Um, so very, very daunting. But we, as, as a nurse, a lot of the nursing I had done was um, with needles and syringes. And so it was kind of comfortable using needles and I think that has helped me uh, did help me at the very beginning because uh, you know when you have patients who have leukemia and that their their access their veins you know they're they're they're, they're difficult enough to to draw blood but um so I was kind of used to using a lot of needles um, and so it depends I suppose on your nursing it did help coming from that background you know now that I've been um, working with people in aesthetics for a long time I really see that aesthetics is about um, helping people look and feel better and for many people it can be extremely transformational generally change their lives but again after working with you know literally 
saving people's lives who had cancer did you find it initially did you find lips as fulfilling I suppose it was just it was new and it was exciting that was the thing about it it was just very very different and it was it was a hobby it wasn't I was never you know at that time it was never going to take over my career it was never it was just an interest and it was something different to do on a Saturday and it was a way of making an extra wage for a holiday you know and even at the very beginning literally a takeaway and a bottle of wine kind of you know it was very much this is just interesting so how did it become a career so it became a career I suppose I moved back to Dublin in 2006 and at the time aesthetics was was just it was very new and when I came back to Dublin the the rules and regulations are very different in Southern Ireland so nurses um which is my background they're not allowed administer toxin so I had to rearrange the way I was thinking with, you know, the fillers and the the Botox. So I kind of just then 100% put all my energy into fillers and hooked up with a couple of doctors that I knew of old over the years that that worked in GP practices. And a couple of them went off and did a toxin course. So between the two of us, I worked in a GP practice in a place called Terra Nura. And the doctor was very kind at the time. He just gave me the room for free there was no money exchange and we just said we'd see how it goes so I did the lip fillers and he did a little bit of Botox and between the two of us it's it built from there it started so that was always my starting point um and then I was lucky enough I was working back then um for a pharmaceutical company as a respiratory nurse I ended up in respiratory um and part of the respiratory role which has helped in aesthetics is is always about um teaching them how to use something and repeating the same message all the all the, all the time and marketing um i learned a lot from the, the pharmaceutical companies about how to market and how to build your own little business what was the biggest lesson that you learned from them the biggest lesson um, with the ASPA was because I worked for GSK at the time was they provided patients. Um, the secret was was to show the patient how to use their devices for free. So they they provided this nurse service for free. So if the patient knew how to use the devices properly, the drug got into the the body better, and the results were better. So if you don't know how to use something and do something then there's no result so the so drug how, might how, how has that affected what 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 you do now and how you market yourself now it always for me it was always important that the product i used was the best so I, i've never dabbled with the cheaper fillers um i always just stay up there with the top three or four you know products that are out there because i think people look too much at the bottom line of what's the product what if I can make money if I make the product cheaper but it, it, I always did it the opposite way so I always went for the high-end products like Galderma, Allergan they were the main two really and they still are my main two to this day and now the new Aliaxin range I do use a lot of that as well but I think um, Kerry at, at another point you told me that the turning point for you was you at some point you found yourself post-divorce um, with two children you said no house and no money, and that really, really spurred you on um, and drove you really to success. Yeah. 
So yeah, well, I came, I came back, to, Ireland. back to that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, 2006 was a different time as well, and especially back in Ireland. And, you know, divorce was new here. So it was very different to be a, a young mom with two kids and, you know, divorced. It, it wasn't the thing that was happening over here. You know, everybody, we're very forward now in Ireland. You know, we even have uh, divorced. Uh, divorced, like, and it's normal. But at the time, it wasn't. So I had to find, you know, extra money. I had to find, um, you know, I didn't have any financial support, so I had to find an extra income. So at the beginning, I did anything. I actually um, worked in a gym and did um, fillers, colonic irrigation, um, endemology, and microdermabrasion, and laser on a Saturday for, for a spa place. Just And that gave me an income. And that kick-started me off. Um, and that's when I'd started realizing that there was an opportunity to go around different salons around Dublin and the outskirts of Dublin. So then I just started driving around different um, beauticians. Nobody well, was doing what, what I'm hearing from you, you know, very often we speak to clinic owners who are, you know, doctors and they've traveled a very, very different path to you. But essentially, when I hear your story, I just think you are a true entrepreneur at heart. You, would, you, you had to make ends meet. So you had to yeah. look for new, interesting ways of doing things. And that also explains the beginning of our conversation, which was really about looking for different niches, um, exploiting opportunities that others aren't looking at, like TikTok. Do you think that is really how, is that really how you see things? I think it's, I think it's the drive. It's your own personal drive. And I think, I know you hear so many stories about rags to riches and all these different, you know, that people, people talk about, but I definitely feel if you haven't, if you, if you've grown up with a lot and I see it now with my own kids because they have a bit more than we would have done. It's like the drive isn't as, as there as it was with the younger kids that, you know, when we grew up with very little in, in especially in Ireland in the eighties, we wouldn't have had central heating, you know, very different times. So I think it's a, it's an internal drive. Um, so it's not always about money. It's about um, success. You know, so I think if you focus too much on the monetary, like the, the downside of me now, and I have to get people to do it, is I don't actually look at the money side of this business enough because I'm just concentrating on doing the treatments and getting the... The, the, I still get the excitement out of doing the treatment. So I have to get other people to look at the prices now. Well, that's not a bad strategy, actually. Yeah. Very often, you know, that, 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 that is really the classic dilemma of a clinic owner, isn't it? That you want to do the treatment. It is, yeah. but you really, you have the business background and actually bringing in someone else to handle that is quite, is quite a good strategy. Because then it takes it away from you. Because at the beginning, I used to, say oh go on take that I'll give you that cream and go on you know because I'd had a nice chat with them and I felt and I knew then they were you know tight for money and so I, I removed myself from that and I said oh you have to go outside now and check out you know the girls will, will look after you after you know once you leave here so many, removed, doctors, many many clinic many, many of the doctors um, who have people have you also, you also you have you have a medical background you're a nurse do not want to talk to people about money so actually that's yeah. very often a barrier that was the biggest biggest challenge I, I and I still find it a challenge to overcome um because I kind of go you know if I add things up and you know especially people who need a lot of work and you kind of get there going 
you know, you're going, that's going to cost you three grand. And you say it really quietly, you know, because it's, you're not comfortable. It, it, that is a big, steep learning curve because normally you work for your salary. How did you learn to make yourself more comfortable talking to people about money, given that obviously you've worked for the NHS, the, National, the British National Health Service, where you, you would never talk to anyone about money. So how did you overcome that internal barrier? I suppose our marketing now is just that the, the prices are set, um, you know, and it's... It, you come in and that, that conversation is already done even before you get to me. Now, obviously now when we do consultations, we have to discuss plans for people so we can put, it's, it's talking about steps and not frightening people about money and saying, look, this is what we want to work at over the next few years for you. And as you're aging, so we can, we'll work out a, a budget that suits you. So it's, it's being upfront and talking about money rather than the shock factor. So are you now more comfortable talking to people about money? Or is that still yeah. something that you try to pass no, on? No, it, it's, it's still not my comfort zone, 100%. Um, I would still be, you know, and if, if somebody had a very strong character in front of me regarding money, you know, you'd be kind of going in your head, oh, well, I give it to her a little bit less so I get the business, you know. So there's still, still that in me, um, definitely. So it's, I'm still learning that one. <laughs> And there's still that, uh, it's partially a, a drive to serve people, um, but partially, um, I, I'm sure that when you come, you know, when you really have, have had to build everything up so completely from scratch, that drive not to lose out on, on you know, on, on a piece of business, essentially, is probably still, is that still very strong for you? It is. And I think when you, like I was, I was a kid that always wanted to do nursing. So it was never that I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to be a dentist. I always wanted to be a nurse. So your mentality, then all of a sudden you're making more money than you would have done as nursing. You kind of think, well, I've enough anyway, you know, sure. I might as well give her that a little bit lower, you know, because whereas doctors and I live now with a dentist and they're trained very differently to how, you know they're they're the the top two percent of their company intellectually and their 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 training is that you will be the best you deserve this so there's a bit of that mentality with how you've what what education you've had and your salary expectations your yeah. expectations obviously if you're a business owner it's not a salary um but what you expect to make so you think that for the nurses who set up their aesthetic practices um, everyone has issues obviously around money especially when you have medical training but for nurses in some way feeling um, that you deserve to make that money um, sounds like a sounds like it's a um, you know something that you grapple with yeah and I think dentists are very good at it because they're very um, they're trained you know because they're trained to have a business from day one for, compared to a, a doctor a doctor is still more salary based, but dentists have have their business from a very early age, so it is monetary for them. Especially in Ireland, a dentist is very much um, a pure business, and people pay to see the dentist here, um, and they pay a lot of money to see a dentist. So they, so I learned a lot when I met Barry about business. No, that obviously that cosmetic dentistry is 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 a big thing. So potentially there's something there for you. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Last thing on the money, um, which is, uh, and now we've had this whole conversation about how uncomfortable you are talking about money. I feel really bad bringing it up. Um, oh, but no, no. I'm interested that, you know, unlike that really you've had to bootstrap, you know, you're now the owner of a really fantastic, 
you know, practice in the most amazing location with the most amazing clients, most amazing, um, you know, uh, public uh, uh, social media presence. Um, but you've had to bootstrap the whole thing. Um, and that's very, very different, um, again, to the experience of some people who come into it with money. Um, so what was that like having to really, you know, bootstrap your entire business? I think it, it grew, it, you know, because it's, I, you know, I started it from 2006. So really, I didn't really start making any headway on really until 2012. Now I would have like back at the very first few years, if I was lucky, if I earned an extra 200, 300 euros a month, which was fantastic at the time because it was extra money. Um, it's, it, I suppose you're, it's hard to, to let it go. To, it's, it's hard to delegate stuff because you kind of, it's your baby as such and nobody does your, your, your own business as well as you do yourself. So still to this day, and especially with COVID, I've learned that like, I'm still happy to sit there at the computer and, you know, book appointments and sit here for hours on end and try and think of different ways to, to bring more people in. So I haven't let anything go completely, really. So you're still very hands-on. Um, and in fact, so today, in fact, today, the day that we are recording this podcast, um, I'm really delighted that you've managed to make time for us because... You are actually, you've actually opened your second clinic today. So first of all, congratulations. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So um, there's a shopping center, uh, an area called City West, which is a booming, um, young, kind of growing population area. Um, houses are just being built. Oh, just thousands of new houses. And so the, the population is growing. They're all young people. It's a busy shopping center. So we've now a two-bedded um, integrated unit in the shopping center, just as you walk in the front door. And the branding's blasted out. And our branding is very strong. So it's red and black. Um, and that is now within the government guidelines. We're ready to open Monday morning and do... We can open as retail at the moment. So you can have, we're recording this, there's still coronavirus restrictions, just to clarify, yeah. if someone is listening to this next year. Yeah, so we are, we are now open. We, have, um, we will have a doctor, um, two dentists. We will also have um, a full-time beautician who will be offering oxygen facials. So we have the new intraceuticals, which we're the first in Ireland to have. Um, and, and with this new clinic, you're still going after the markets we were talking about beforehand, the youth market, men, or is it or is the strategy for this one different? No, our strategy is still to get um, to increase our our men population, our male population. Now, my um, P or marketeer Ian O'Keefe is male, and so he's hands on in that sector. He also works for well well um renowned um business over here mark o'keefe a hairdresser so we link in very closely with them and luckily now that the, our neighbors up in city west are a business called house of color which is a, a, a another big hairdressing um business and he has five shops around um ireland so we'll link in closely with them they're really continuing the same strategy but yes. let me ask you something you are now opening um as you said um, today, your second clinic. 
but what are you going to do differently for the second clinic? Now that you have all this experience under your belt, what are, you go, what are the things you're going to get right, right from the start now that maybe you didn't get right at the beginning of your very first clinic? I think um, it's to make it the, everything simple. So from the booking system to try and source not about again not about the money so we have a system say for people buying vouchers so we try to integrate it um and we spent a good bit of money trying to integrate the system when the current system that we have allows you to do it but they wanted a lot of money for it and we said i oh, know we'd go a different way and so sometimes you're better off just paying for the right system and to make things simple rather than having loads of different people doing the same job um, so I just said I'd break the, things down. The, the optimization, so now, essentially, which is really the sign of yeah. a really growing um, business. And really, a lot of people say that you shouldn't scale until you have those systems up and running because, um, you know, because that's really what having systems is what enables you to scale. Yeah. And they're always at the beginning, this was always, um, I had very good um, chats with um a businessman who sat me down and said, you know, if you ever want to franchise, you need to have the biggest thing that you start with in any business is spend on your brand because there's nothing worse when you become successful that you have to change your brand and your color scheme. So right from day one, which was at the, that K that we have in red, just the K at the time cost me 5,000 euros, which was money I really didn't have. And um, but we, we listened to them and we went down that road and definitely that was the best advice I was ever given. Was spend well, on your how, how do you measure the impact of the branding on, on your business? Like how, how, what, what makes you say that was the best money? You, how do you actually feel the, the real impact of that branding? I suppose people comment on it all the time and it's easy to, it's easy to see, it's easy to, to replicate, it's easy to, to, to use our marketing materials. Um, it's striking. Um, they're, 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 they're bright colors. There's so many blues out there. There's so many light purples. Um, it stands out. Like we did a show, uh, The Future and Beauty in Ireland, which was a, um, the first of its kind last year, an aesthetic um, show, in, a bit like in Earl's Court, kind of. We did it in the RDS. And like we were told, our stand stood out because it's black and red. You know, and it's bright and it's, I know a lot of people in medical clinics are advised blue, soft pinks. Um, you know, you can be, you can be a bit more adventurous. You went for the striking. We um, paid, paid somebody. We paid a, a, a big um, company, what were they called? Um, New World. Um, so, so what this means though is that also you ha you right from the beginning you were already thinking about second about more clinics and about yeah. growth so you never wanted to stop you know it. I was I, and at the time it was watching different businesses certain businesses were going over here um certain franchises and if you can get something very it was always in my mind if you have a, a booking system each person just had one sterile pack, their, their, their treatment, their this, their that, and there was five, six things in the room. You know, it's very simple to replicate it. So are you, do you want to go down the franchise route in the future? The harder thing, the hardest thing about franchising, and even with the second clinic, and already 
we've noticed this is reliability then of staff. That's the, that's the biggest obstacle. I could open six of these tomorrow um, and have them ready to go. And this is where I suppose there's, there's many a chain out there. You know, there's a couple in Ireland, especially, and now they've moved to the UK and Scotland. The hardest part is staff, because if you are a medical practitioner and you become successful and you're, you're creative, after six months, you'll go out on your own. So retention. Yes, yeah. So, do you have any strategies to retain your staff? We do, and we 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 we've good. You know, they their, their percentages are low that they have to provide, and you know, we do try to keep them. You know, so that that you know, it's easier for them to work. But I've learned that from Barry because he's had um, locum dentists working because he owns a dental practice as well. So he has three dentists. So, and his staff have stayed with him for the last fifteen years. So, so what's the key thing that you do to retain your staff? Um, the percentage, I think, the, um, to make it easy, easy for them, they just have to go to work and walk into that room and they don't have to do anything else except give a certain percentage of money. So we don't have, we're not forceful with targets and that you have to do this, and you know, because I, I guarantee that they, if I give them six hours, that they'll have a patient booked in and they so the percentage they give me is low you know i suppose you make it as easy and as worthwhile for them as possible yeah yeah so that it's it's you know because it's not easy um you know there's a lot of work go goes on behind the scenes before you actually physically get to do a treatment so you know we we're all up and running now we have a great booking system um you know we have great staff that organize the clinic so to get it ready that the doctor literally just has to turn up and the product's there waiting for him and he just walks in and he physically does the treatment. The, the, the preparation for that takes a lot of time. And so that's, I think, to make it easy for them. And not everybody wants to own a business. Not everybody wants the headache of... Um, so we have different options for staff as well. So some people want to become employed within the business and others want to be self-employed so providing that flexibility in different ways of work. yeah yeah um carrie i have to ask you obviously as i said we are recording this during coronavirus and it, right now many people you know you're scaling this is the moment where you're scaling um other people just want to survive right now in fact that's the story that i keep on hearing we just we want to survive we need to get through this what is giving you the guts essentially to actually not just survive, but expand your business are possibly the most difficult time since 2008. It's, it's the most difficult time for people, but, but what people didn't, don't do or didn't realize is instead of um, just sitting at home and going, oh my God, we can't do anything or nobody's working. I actually worked all the way through Corona and I set up my dining table, which if you were to look at now is just covered with creams um, that we now sell. So we had literally only started to have an online shop just before coronavirus and we had two products on it and we, were, we weren't even actively selling. So we, I launched that. So perfect timing, everybody's at home, everybody's buying online, everybody. And the first month of us being closed, we turned over 20 grand in a shop that wasn't there before. So, so and now, now it's, again. 
Yeah, now it's a big focus to get the shop up and running and have more and more products. So, plus, I I spent the day with my teenager who's 17 and she's fantastic on Instagram. So, people were bored. People were on their phone all day. So, more people know about me now. Because so actually, the coronavirus has been um, has been an opportunity in some ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, so, last question, um, Kerry. If if there's you've been through this incredible journey, um, and which which it clearly has not ended in many ways, is just beginning. But if you could tell yourself, if there's one lesson you could give yourself um, after building up this amazing business, um, one lesson that you could give yourself right at the beginning, what would that lesson be? Ooh, what would that lesson? That's a difficult one now. Many, many lessons. <laughs> um, I suppose is to, to, to learn about the monetary side of business and do what you can to understand VAT because we, we live in a country that, um, we have to pay VAT, you know, so from, so set up the structures and I was advised from a printing printing company guy that I know who was very successful printing company in Dublin called Printerland and he's a good friend of mine and he said whatever you do pay your taxes so you will not pay oh, your advice <laughs> yeah you'll never build a business if you try to keep you know so many people try and keep below the VAT rate mm. which obviously caps how much they can grow and scale if you've, that that's the biggest thing is like understand what you can offset against your business so you grow your business right you're always going to be trapped as a solo a small solo provider if that's what you're trying to do yeah yeah so that was that was the best that was another advice that he gave me is just don't even think about what you're paying them because if you're if your taxes are high you're you're doing well <laughs> so don't don't be, don't be afraid of taxes <laughs> no yeah Fantastic. Um, which we all are, you know. <laughs> For sure. Um, Kerry, thank you very much. Um, good luck to your second clinic. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you again in a year or so um, about how you franchise your business. That will be a whole other, a whole other interview. Um, thank you very much. This very, very fascinating conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay. If people want to reach you, where can they reach you? So we are kerryhanafy.com. So everything is my name. So Instagram is hanafy.kerry. And we're on Twitter, but mainly Instagram, I suppose. And emails are kerryhanafy as well. So Perfect. And we'll put those all in the show notes. So if any, whoever's listening to this, um, if you want to go take a look at what Kerry's doing online, um, all the links will be, in, will be just under this interview in the show notes. Um, Kerry, thank you very much. Um, for everyone else, um, yep. we'll see you. I'm Miriam Shabib, Director of Content at Brainstorm Digital, and I will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.